0: You're listening to Legally Bliss Conversations. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys, the ones who question the stories they've been told, the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power we'll learn from women who define success on their terms through lighthearted and curious conversation we'll impact the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated so join me on this journey you'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you welcome everyone to the Legally Bliss Conversations podcast, and I would love to welcome my friend Davina Frederick today. Davina is a Florida licensed attorney who started and operated two law firms before she decided to become a law firm growth strategist and business coach for other women law firm owners in 2013. In the past eight years, she's helped hundreds of women law firm owners scale their law firm businesses to and through $1 million with total ease. I like that second part. <laughs> Davina is also the author of two books on scaling your law firm business, and she's the founder of the popular Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. So make sure you go check that out. So welcome again, Davina. I'm so happy you're here. So how, how are things going today? Thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: Things are going well
1: today, I have to say. And Florida, it's beautiful, it's sunny, uh, warm day. We're already moving into, we're skipping spring, going right to summer, it looks like. And but it's wonderful, wonderful. And I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. It's it's interesting to sit through an introduction like that and you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I did do that. <laughs> A little awkward.
0: <laughs> no, but you you do have quite the um, the resume. So let me ask you, I'm curious. Why did you decide to go to law school?
1: So I did not, uh, I had a whole other career before I went to law school. I did not go to law school until I was in my late 30s. And by the time I graduated law school, I was 40. So it it definitely very much was a second career for me. I had a, uh, a, my undergrad degree was in journalism, and I really had dreams of being, you know, a traveling foreign correspondent, traveling around the world. And, you know, writing for newspapers and war-torn, war-torn countries and all that. But it was just kind of hilarious for anybody who knows me because I get motion sick if I walk too fast. So the idea of me being on planes, trains, and automobiles is ridiculous. But I wound up instead uh, staying in Orlando. I married my first husband. And and I there weren't a lot of journalism games in town. There was only one newspaper in town. And I really wanted to work for a newspaper. And uh, that was the Orlando Sentinel. And so the odds of me as a fresh grad getting a job there were kind of slim to none. So I started looking for other types of writing jobs. And I got a job as a technical writer for an engineering firm. And that what that meant to them was really marketing because they had to write a lot of technical reports to uh, respond to requests for proposals. And so they needed somebody to translate engineer speak into sales speak, marketing speak for the the people receiving their proposals. So that launched me into a career in marketing. And I was in marketing for about 15 years. I worked for the largest law firm in Central Florida. I worked for an ad agency. And I really, my favorite job was really at the ad agency because I went from being a support person in a company to the one who was The money generator, because I was a copywriter and an ad agency. Your graphic designers and your copywriters are the ones who are, you know, the billable people, the ones who are making the money. And I really found my people and I absolutely loved it. But the things changed at that company. It was started by a couple of really young guys, and I was a little bit older and I had other needs and wants, uh, benefits and things like that, that I wanted to make more money, all those things that we want at that age. And so I wound up, by then, I had already um, divorced my first husband a few years before, and I met the person who eventually became my current husband, my current and hopefully last husband. Um, That's you your been, future you ex-husband, right? <laughs> right. Um, we just celebrated our 19th anniversary. Yeah, we was touch go there that last week before the 19th. We didn't know if we were going to make it there, but we did. Um, so because of that, I had an opportunity um, to go to law school because a couple of, it was like um, oh, several things just sort of fell into place. One, Orlando finally had a law school. It, take, it had taken a few years for it to get accredited. By the time I went, it was accredited and fairly newly accredited. And, uh, and he also, also was doing quite well in his career. And so it was the first time in my life I've been working since I was 16. And it was the first time in my life that somebody said to me, you know, you, you don't have to work. You just like do whatever you want. Go figure out what it is you want to do. if You want to do something different. And the marketing career had sort of evolved. It wasn't anything I sought to do. So I thought, well, you know, I can be intentional about this next phase of my life, this new career. What do I want to do? And I actually had like, you know, a whole matrix, a chart. I looked at multiple careers. I looked at: Do I want to be a teacher? Do I want to be, uh, you know, a psychologist? Do I want to be an attorney? And I had um, a cousin I'm very close to who loved being. He had become a lawyer in his career later in life, and he loved it and still loves it. And so he said, you know, you really need to go to law school. You, you're going to love it. And blah blah blah. blah. So. I checked into law school and I said, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And I had kind of, it was something that had always sort of been, he had always been an influence on me, even when I was young and he was going to law school. So it had already planted that seed and it just sort of everything aligned. And I went to law school and I went to law school with the intention of starting my own law practice right out of law school. So it was very intentional. It wasn't because I couldn't find a job or anything like that. I had a lot of contacts, having been in marketing for so long, but my husband was an entrepreneur and it really, I loved his lifestyle as an entrepreneur and I really caught the bug. And so that was my, that was my intention from the get-go. And so that's what I did when I graduated law school. I started my own law firm
0: so i love that you went to law school intentionally and there was also another word that you said in there i thought was really interesting was i had the opportunity to go to law school and i don't always hear that <laughs> in relation like a lot of people are like i did not really know what else to do or it, you know of course and they were like yeah i wanted to go to law school since i was eight years old so it was, it was kind of a path already paved for them in some ways but but that really just resonated that you said that, like, I had the opportunity. So you approached it very intentionally. I think you said that. And then when when I say, when I say I had the opportunity,
1: I grew up, um, I was the first person in my family to graduate from college in my immediate family. So my parents uh, worked, worked, I mean, worked very hard and they've done very well for themselves, but their parents before them um, didn't, all of them didn't graduate high school, and my parents graduated high school, and I just grew up in a working class family. And for us, we didn't. I paid my way through college, and uh, you know, I paid for my own wedding. I paid my way through college, so a lot of times people have you know those advantages, and I I didn't have that advantage. Fortunately, I had parents who really taught me the love of learning and the value of education. And when I was young, you know, they would they would say going to school is your job, just like going to work is our job. That's your, you know, that's what you're 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 supposed to do, right? And so it was it was never uh, that uh, a privilege that was available to me just because of how I grew up and what I grew up and and I really credit them because they they made uh, they're such avid readers. And then my sisters and I, as a result of that, have always been really avid readers, And so we've always had this love of learning. I think that's what continues to be a thread throughout my whole life. And always, you know, I'm in the third iteration of my career, probably the fourth, more than that. But it's really that curiosity and that love of learning. But it, it really was an opportunity. And, and you know, I, I am appreciative of my husband for being able to provide that opportunity for me, for, for somebody to say, you know, you... You, because when I was in undergrad, I worked and put myself through school, and so it was a real challenge. It took me a little bit longer than it took some other people, but you know, I kept kept doing it so, until I got it right. And uh, so, yeah, I really do view it that way. I don't, I don't believe that. Um, you know, I think it's important to recognize our opportunities when they come to us, and I don't do not believe that we get anywhere without the village of people around us to provide things for us, right, whether it is, whether it is just, you know, living, living here in this country where we have infrastructure and we have, you know, schools and roads and all of these things. Like, I just think, I think, you know, nobody gets where we're going alone, that it does take community, other people involved in your life. Yeah,
2: well,
1: I would, I would I would say though, I really struggled with when I married my husband. This is really getting into like personal relationship thing, but I really struggled when I married him because he he was doing very well and he was, you know, pretty wealthy. And I had all well, like I said, i would worked since I was 16, 13 before that if you count things like babysitting and whatnot, but i would had an actual job since 16. So here I was in my late 30s, and I had never not worked and supported myself. So for me, it was a real struggle for a while before I decided to go to law school. I was kind of working part time. I was trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do, and uh, I would feel guilty because I had always and so I I have a very firm belief that one one should be responsible for oneself. So I really I do believe that. And I, and I know in a, for traditional roles, for men and women, oftentimes uh, in the past, in traditional roles, women sort of uh, always think it's a little bit of an option to work or not, especially if they have kids. And uh, I have a kind of a different view on that uh, because I think it, we, don't, we don't look at men the same way. Men, men don't approach life with the, well, I have an option of working once I get married but oftentimes women do look at it that way. And I know that's changing some, a lot of, a lot of my clients now, younger women are the breadwinners in the family and their husbands are staying home, but the way I grew up was a very traditional kind of thing. So I struggled with that. Um, and, but I went to law school and then started my practice and went from there.
0: <laughs> so let, Let's talk about starting your own practice straight out of law school. So, you had worked in a law firm, but it was sort of in the capacity as, um, like, you were, in, you were in their marketing department, I suppose. So, I was the marketing
1: manager. Yeah, I was the marketing manager.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. So, you were not in the department, you were managing their. I worked in the department. <laughs> <laughs> you were in the department. Um, so, yeah. So, what skills did you learn from that? Um, you know, Were there any skills from that experience that helped you with starting your own practice? Or did you really feel like you were kind of starting from scratch?
1: No, it's very interesting because uh, when I say I I was in the department, they actually hired three people when I left because it took that many to replace me. (laughs) And that was, and and it was department. (laughs) Yeah, right. So uh, it, it was, it truly was something where, um, and that's typical, I think, of a lot of law firms as they're growing, you know, you, you're you relying on one person and they do and they do and they do and when they're gone, you're like, oh crap, this person, we really need to divide this out into multiple jobs, right? So um, it was hugely, if that experience was very influential, not so much in wanting to be a lawyer, but in, in what I learned about the inner workings of a law firm, because this law firm was a, uh, what most people would say is sort of a mid-sized law firm, but it's a, a it's a large law firm, uh, largest law firm, single office law firm in Central Florida, in the Orlando area. Um, but it's not a national law firm with offices all over the country or anything like that. Um, but it's where a lot of law firms sort of aspire to get to that sort of wealth. And I learned so much about the infrastructure of a law firm and how to run a law firm because I was one of a team of five admins. Not I'm not talking about paralegals and legal assistants and things like that. I'm talking about managers, administrators. Uh, the way it was set up, we had a, a firm administrator and under the firm administrator, there was the accounting administrator, the HR administrator, marketing administrator, and then the technology administrator. And so we all sort of managed these different uh, operations areas. So being a, in that team really taught me a lot about the operations and management of a law firm business. So it was really influential in that way in what I do currently. It also, uh, you know, I ha- it helped me some when I started my firm, but when I started my firm, it was a completely different animal because I was a solo. And a solo is very different from a firm with, you know, 50 partners and 100 lawyers, right? So it, you know, it, it helps me now. But when I started out, not so much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not so much. So, what area did you practice when you first came out of law school?
1: Well, I I did door law. What I, so, whatever crossed the door through the door came whatever through, the came door, through. That's what I did. And the reason I did that, I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, you would do door law. I do think a lot of solos start out doing door law. And the reason I did is because I didn't know what I wanted to do. When you go through law school, you really don't know what the different practice areas are going to be like. They're so, so yeah. how you know, unless you sort so most people sort of fall into a practice area based on what their first job is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, so for me, I didn't know what I had. Kind of an idea of things that I would like to, and things that I probably wouldn't like to do. And I know you're sort of limited uh, as a solo. You're, you know, it's not. You're not going to get big corporate clients, right? In that capacity. Um, so I, I was really kind of doing um, family law, estate planning. And I did some business law, so contracts, you know, formation, contracts, uh, a lot of contract work. But then within a month of starting my practice, so this was kind of my idea. This was sort of what I was going to work in. Um, within about a month, it was the end of 2007. Now, if you guys remember, think back to November, December 2007, what was coming up? What was coming up was a whole wave of foreclosures, the 2008 recession. And in Florida, where I practice, the, we were, along with California, we were like the leading foreclosure states. And so what happened was, is I had a, a colleague who was a friend of mine, and we were walking one day after work, and she said, you know, I was at the courthouse today, and the chief judge was really mad. He came storming out. She was down at Orange County Courthouse. I'm in Seminole County, so I practiced in three counties at the time. And Orange County is the main one. And so she says, He can store me out. He's really upset because all these attorneys from down south are calling in and doing these foreclosure hearings. They're representing the lenders. And so today he came storming out and he said, I'm going to go write an executive order requiring local counsel for these, these lenders out of Miami, these Miami law firms. And so I called the JA the next day and I said, Hey hey, who are are some of these firms that are coming up here? And I got um, a list from a JA who was in Orange County of about six or seven firms that were sort of leading the charge on representing bankers in foreclosure actions. And I cold called them. And I, I asked to speak to the person in charge of their foreclosure department. And I said, you know, I just found this out and it's going to be coming in the other counties here. I'd like to be your local counsel. And that really became my bread and butter money to grow my firm. So when I talk about, when I tell people that about opportunity, meaning preparation equals success, it's that, it's that idea that uh, there was, again, there was an opportunity and, but had I not acted on the opportunity, it would not have happened. That opportunity led me to bring in a partner, hire staff, attorneys, grow the practice, move to a different location, all of that. That really was the thing that kicked off my practice. And I also learned how to litigate, how to have a motion practice and litigate and all of that. Um, And I did all of that. I didn't love it, but I did all of that so that it would allow me the time to learn how to become a good divorce lawyer, good estate planning lawyer, a good business lawyer, all of those things, I was able to move at a slower pace because I didn't worry about having to pay the bills because we were making money doing this. And that lasted for quite a while. I actually um, wound up leaving the firm and my partner continued to do that for many years. She still does local council stuff to this day. And it was, uh, so it was a very fruitful opportunity for us. And one of the things that I always tell other lawyers is we all have those opportunities that are unique to us, those sort of advantages that are unique to us. And it's a time and place specific thing. We're in the right place at the right time with the right people, or we know somebody or we're connected to somebody that, that will provide an opportunity that will only work in this time, place, and circumstance. And I've seen it over and over and over again. When I go through a SWOT analysis with my clients, I ask them about their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. I always go over with them, what are the unique advantages that are, you know, the advantages that are unique to you that other people don't have? Are you a member of this organization or that? Are you, do you know these people? You've been in business for two decades. I mean, those are advantages. There's a lot of advantages and opportunities that we have that we don't see. We take them for granted. And so we don't take action on, right? And so that for me, that really was the thing that that catapulted my law firm and career.
0: I think that's so enterprising as well. Like you were definitely, you definitely had your like radar on, right? Like you were you were open to opportunities. You were listening to what people were talking about. You were paying attention to what was going on, right? Like we were what at that point like a few months from the, away from the recession, right? Like you, and you are putting yourself out there. So like, in addition to, you know, this, you know, preparation equaling success, having to have that opportunity element, um, the opportunity element really means putting yourself out there, right? Like we can get really comfortable sitting behind zoom, especially like over the last couple of years, it can, you know, it can feel pretty good to have the yoga pants on and not put our you know, put our face on and all of this stuff but um, you know, really putting yourself out there in situations to help that, you know, increase those odds of those opportunities.
2: Um, yeah.
1: Come- I, well, funny that you say that too, because I have this little philosophy about 15 minutes of courage. I didn't admit this. I don't, I don't know where I heard it from, but 15 minutes of courage was what I am a, I'm an introverted person. And even, which is, even though I've been like in marketing and had this career, I've been to all the rubber chicken dinners and, you know, all of that throughout my career. But so my marketing background came in handy in that regard, but picking up the phone and cold calling, you know, it's something you don't imagine an attorney doing, but I was calling other attorneys and I was telling them about something very specific that they would find helpful. And that, um, that but that took me to like Okay, I'm just going to like for, I'm just going to do this for 15 minutes, or I'm just going to do this for half an hour or just an hour, and then I can go do something else because cold calling can be scary, whether you, I mean, even, even if you're cold calling other colleagues, you know, especially being a new attorney. But I just was, I, I kind of employ, I deploy that 15 minutes of courage strategy, uh, you know, often. If it just, you know, let me just take 15 minutes and do this thing that is emotionally challenging for me and, and I'm going to release the outcome. I'm just going to release my responsibility for the outcome. I cannot control the outcome, but I can control the action that I take because really all the intentions and the ideas in the world are nothing unless you apply some action behind them. You have to you have to take action. And I will credit my my partner, too, because she took that even further. When we when we uh, became partners, she went to the courthouse and she looked up all the recent cases in our local courthouse and found more law firms. And she went after those law firms. So, uh, you know, I chose a partner who also was very um, willing to do the work, really, really do the work and, um, and face the fear. You know, we didn't know we were both green and we didn't know, you know, but we had to face, you know, we just faced the fear of the challenge and said, let's go do this. And there were areas where we also chickened out. So like, I'm not saying like, we're not, we're not special or unique with some special superpowers. There were other things that we were like, I don't know, that's a little too scary for me. I don't want to go down that path yet. You know, like, I don't know that I'm, qualified or capable enough. So we had our own, you know, self-doubts, but, and we had each other in the, in the beginning, you know, the first, the first uh, year I was on my own and then I, and then I teamed up with her. So um, it was, And uh, she had, she had only worked, she'd worked one other job beforehand. So it was, uh, we had each other as, and we were friends who had stayed in touch from law school and all of that. So I do think your community is very important connection. Your connections in your community are very important,
0: and see now you have that experience that you can kind of bond with her over. Like, do, you know, do you remember we kicked ass back in two thousand seven and two thousand eight? Like we did this. Well, it's funny. It's, yeah, two thousand nine,
1: all that. So, what well, was funny is that we uh, I did wind up splitting from her, and but it was for personal reasons, and it wasn't it wasn't her, um, and it is, we are still friends to this day. It's been, we're going into our 15th year practice. We're still friends, we still get together. And both of us are like, yeah, I don't ever want to partner again though. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. And I don't think it has anything to do with either of us not liking each other. It's just both of us are very, uh, love, we're both Mavericks, Mm -hmm. who like to do things the way we like to do them without consulting other people,
0: so. Right, right which helps yeah. um, to have your own law firm right like you don't have to necessarily go talk to you know five layers of partners above you if you want to implement a new policy you just say hey right. divina i want to do let's this do thing hmm, divina yeah sure let's do it so you just have this little conversation with yourself and you just boom you implement this policy um and that can even be challenged when you're partnering with someone
2: yeah, <laughs> so,
1: yeah. It can be. I've I've had partners. Uh, generally, my my coaching clients are solos. I do have a couple of people right now who are partners, but they're also sisters. Um, but generally speaking, um, I don't work with partners for that reason because what I will find is one partner is wanting to do this. You know, they're wanting to grow and they have ideas about it, and their other partner doesn't, and so they're they're wanting to talk to me to try to help persuade them. You know, I don't I don't do that. Um, I, so I see that a lot with partners. There's some partners that work partnerships work out great, and then other times, you know, one partner tends to be more dominant than the other, and you see a, a partner who doesn't always bloom for that. So I do think people need to be very careful uh, about getting into partnerships. And one of the things that um, I often see women do is, out of fear, they they gravitate toward a partner because they're afraid of doing it on their own. And they say, I have somebody, it's very much like how women always like to go together to work out or go together to go, you know, like women are sort of, you know, a lot of women are very group oriented. And so they think, oh, I'm gonna get a partner and that's gonna make it easier, right? Because I have somebody to share the decision-making with and the emotional burden with and all that. And I say, if that's your reason for doing it, don't do it. Go work on yourself Um, because I think that's a mistake. Out there. <laughs> oh my gosh! I I I would I do it all the time in in small ways and big way. It might be sending email to somebody. It might be reaching out to somebody and having, it might be, and one of the things is having uncomfortable conversations. I think as we start growing and we have, we're dealing with clients, we're dealing with hiring people. Oftentimes we have to have uncomfortable conversations. And many times I see people avoid uncomfortable conversations. I, one year I actually had, you know, like every year, you know, some people have like a word for the year, oh, expansion and our current, one year my word was courage. And I decided that, that year, I would not shy away from uncomfortable conversations, that I would have them head on. And um, it's very challenging. And I think one of the dangers of that is, I think when you ask for, when you say that, you're kind of asking the universe to send you uncomfortable conversations so you can test that out, which I did a lot, but, but, I have, but over the years, that's how you develop skills. And I think one of the things that I see a lot of people do now, is they ghost, they avoid, they say I want this thing or I want to do that, and then they have second thoughts. And rather than say I don't want this, they ghost. And it happens in uh, social situations. It happens in work situations. Um, I was just seeing an article today where somebody you know said, Oh, this is a picture from my birthday party a year ago. Nobody came. I have 15 people invited, and you know nobody came. And, and it was, and I, I've, I've had that experience where I, I've, I've uh, thrown a uh, work event and I had a lot of people say they were going to come and it rained that night and people just didn't come. And so they, so I had paid for all this food. I had paid for, uh, uh, you know, music. I had paid for all the decorations and everything. It was a networking event for women lawyers and a lot of them oh yeah, I'm going to be there, be there. And then they didn't show up. So I have a few, you know, and so there's a couple of things out of that. One is what my philosophy of love, the one you're with. So pay attention to the people who do show up. Right. And the other thing is, though, is that note to self, you know, I won't be doing a free event where I'm paying for the booze and the food and everything again. I'll be charging people because they're, it put, you know, it costs me a lot of money. And I see this happening where people go. And what they think is that they won't notice other people will be there, they won't notice, whatever, instead of just saying, you know, I don't want to do that. I can't come, you know, or whatever. I'd rather go home and be with my family or, you know, it's a, but I see that in work situations too, you know, with, with people, it's happening right now. I'm reading all kinds of articles with this great recession where, um, where people who are, Um, representing employees are out there talking about how, as a company, these companies are ghosting people. They apply for a job and then you're not responding back to them and shame on you. And it's funny because on the other side of it, I hear the women law firm owners saying, I'm trying to hire people. And I've had two clients recently say, I hired someone. And on the day they started, they were supposed to start. They didn't show up. They called and said, I'm not going to do it. So it is, it is no, they just don't show up. But I have, some, I have one who had somebody who left and never came back. And she she actually sent somebody to a wellness check on her because she said, we're trying to call her, not responding, we're worried. And then, she, and then they go find her. And she's like, yeah, I just didn't want to come back. So I think the fear around having conversation with people and just saying, just being honest and just saying, you know, this isn't for me or I didn't like it, or, you know, it's just not got, got it's not the right fit, it's not going to work, or whatever. What, I mean, then you're, you put it behind you and you don't have to carry the guilt or the shame or, or, you know, the bad reputation that you're creating for yourself, all of those things that come out of that. Um, and I do think our society, the way it's set up right now, has caused a lot of people to feel like they can hide behind their keyboard and their computer and people won't notice, but people do notice, people absolutely do notice. So that is a place where 15 minutes of courage, You know, I just, I speak my truth. And I I learned that because my husband and I went through a difficult time in our marriage. And a lot of it was because I was wanting him to be happy and I was wanting to be careful about what I said to indicate. And then when I started speaking my truth, we had a much better relationship, but it was painful and it was difficult and all of that. But now by creating that and also creating that space for him to do it, you know, then we were able to, you know, have hard conversations and still be standing on the other side, whether you're together or you're not together or whatever's going on, you're still standing on the other side and you're like, see, it's so not, not that difficult to use your words, Right, so that's what I was talking Use your word.
0: Stay on the other side, yeah. is stronger than you were before, right? And like yeah, you said, definitely. you're either be together or not. And it's the same thing, like with any any hard conversation. And I do think that people shy away from having those those hard conversations. But we have okay, to. There are ask-
1: people listening to this right now who have employees that really suck, and they're scared to death to have a conversation with oh, them because yeah. they're afraid they're going to quit. And then they're not going to find anybody else to replace them. And really, what they're doing is they're they're holding up that person from seeking a better fit and a better opportunity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they're holding up the the opportunity for somebody else who's a better fit for them. In those two instances, instances that I told you about, where people called the day up, both of the employers found better fit employees with a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid of the consequences just screw up 15 minutes of courage just to say say what you need to say right
0: you can get through 15 minutes right like you can do this
1: yeah I, love that. I had a client uh at one point who a couple of years ago who was dissatisfied w- with me and she had the courage to say something about it and I reacted completely in a different way than she had imagined I would act and and we went on to have a wonderful working relationship after that, because she was able to say, you know, uh, I, this bothers me. Mm-hmm. And I was able to look at it and go, oh yeah, I could see why it would. Right. You know, it's it's not like, I, it's not about you. It wasn't meant to be, but I could see why it would feel that way. And I apologize for that, right? So the, that is that is the thing. I think we give up on relationships with people because we're just too chicken.
2: Let's take a quick pause for a message from my sponsor, Prominent Practice. Are you thinking about a career transition from big law or partnership to a solo practice, selling your practice, or maybe you're launching a project unrelated to law? Whatever the reason for your transition, you'll need support along the way. Enter Prominent Practice, an executive consulting and marketing firm specializing in branding, positioning and reputation management for transitioning attorneys. Founded by a female entrepreneur who spent a decade building smart digital platforms for thought leaders before pivoting to focus on high-end service providers who were preparing for successions, mergers and acquisition events in their businesses. If you're thinking about making a big business move, don't risk losing the ability to leverage the reputation you've spent your career building. Let Prominent Practice be your guide. Visit prominentpractice.com slash blist for an exclusive introduction.
0: You're saying, you know, people giving up on relationships and you've, you know, you have to like conjure up this 15 minutes of courage but I can tell from you, like you, you are brave. Like I know you are brave. So when did I, I want to hear about sort of your transition from having a law firm and then ultimately starting um wealthy woman lawyer. I think that that I, I would love to hear like how that, how that works. Cause I know like bravery came into play here. You had to have been brave.
1: Well, I think what what it was is, uh, so I, I split it with my law firm partner. I did that because of some things that were going on in my personal life, with my marriage, with my husband, and with our financial situation and some decisions that, you know, some things that were affecting his business. And all of that was a really difficult time in my life. And I walked away from the law firm. Because uh, I kind of went into a depression during that period of time. And I just didn't feel like I could continue working as much as I was working in the way that I was working. It wasn't working for me, um, given all that I was dealing with at home. And I had to make a decision about what that was going to look like for me. So that was a really difficult period. And it lasted for a number of years. And during that time, I really truthfully, I got pissed off. I had always been a bit of a people pleaser. I'm a I'm a middle child, so I'm a diplomat. I want everybody to get along, all of that kind of thing. And uh, because of that, I I often would not speak truth about my own needs and my own want for a fear of uh, of hurting other people's feelings. I would much rather have my feelings hurt than hurt other people's feelings. That's how I. That's kind of family I grew up into and so it took really honestly years of therapy and uh, I started hiring coaches but I'll tell you what led me to hire my first coach I so I started my second well first I took some time off from the law together and I my husband and I had a a high performance fitness training studio and we worked in that and uh, you know had clients in there we do private coaching and group coaching and things like that in a fitness facility. Um, But that's his thing. It wasn't my thing. I was kind of supporting his thing. like I did it and became certified and all those things, but it really wasn't my thing. And I was trying to figure out what my thing was. And so I kind of half-heartedly started a law firm again in 2011. When I did, it was all virtual. And back then in 2011, virtual wasn't... I thing, people were like, what do you mean virtual? And I had a, I had a man say to me, uh, you know, no, your clients aren't going to like that. And the reason he said that is because he had some really sweet, expensive office space he wanted me to, to rent. And, and so I just said, well, you know, I'm going to try it. And as it turned out, my clients loved it. Uh, but virtual back then was a the telephone and email. It was not all the tools that we have now, right? And nobody was doing it but I just didn't want to go back to um, working in an office. I had gained 30 pounds. I was working all the time. I didn't want to go back to that. So I started out just kind of part-time, transactional, and I was doing in-person networking still. And uh, I got invited by a friend of mine who is an attorney, who has been an ad- adoption attorney for years, and she was a mentor of mine when I had my practice, my first practice. And she said, You know, I'm going to this big coaching event. I, I'd love that you come with me. And I did. And uh, opportunity, but I, I wasn't thrilled about it. You understand? Like, I didn't want to leave the house. You know, I was coming out of this sort of depression. I was cooking from home. I didn't want to leave the house. But she said, You know, and it's all the way down on I Drive, which is the other side of town where I live. It's like, you know, an hour to get there and you're in, the, in the tourist area, you know, all that. But I got dressed up and I went. And um I, I was blown away by it. I was blown away. It was a lot of this loud music, dance music, and all this excitement, and all these women were there. They were all talking about business and growing their businesses. And I'd always loved business law. And that was, you know, that was an area that I was passionate about. So when I reopened my virtual practice, I was doing estate planning, I was doing business law. I wasn't doing divorce stuff anymore. And I went with her, and I was just blown away by it. Well, I wound up signing up for a coaching program. And at the time, I did not have any idea how I was going to pay for this because I wasn't making very much money in my practice so far. And I, I wound up signing up for it anyway. I sort of, you know, uh, I was definitely right for a sales pitch. Um, and my friend, seeing me do that, she goes, well, I'm going to do it too. And then we did That coaching program did not turn out to be what I thought it was going to be. There was a lot of information there, but really the truth of the matter was, I was not, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So there was limitations on what I could take away from what they were teaching because I didn't really know. I wasn't really thrilled with what was going on. I just knew I didn't like being in adversarial situations, in court, all that kind of stuff, right? So that, but I kept sort of pursuing that coach. And I, and I never really, you know, I knew about coaching, but not really to that degree. Um, and then that, that experience led me to hire my second coach. And my second coach was a one-on-one coach. So I paid more money than ever to that coach. And she is the one who really helped me start changing my mindset. And it was it was a monumental task on her part to take me on because I had a very fixed mindset. I had very fixed beliefs, you know, black and white. And um, but I also was open to hear what other people had to say.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. You have to be open minded, really right?
1: Me, you know, she helped me realize that I was trying to do everything myself. That I was holding on so tightly to try to do something that I couldn't open my hands to receive anything you know, like everything was based on my own willpower, instead of this idea of the universe helps us along, you know, if we open our eyes to it. And um, so I was real, I I was a tough nut for her to crack. But that probably was most the most profound relationship in helping me change my mind between that and my my therapist I had had for a number of years. I finally got a really great therapist who would help me because I just grew up with a very I grew up with, with parents who were very sheltered and the world their worldview was this you know and so I was trying to learn and grow and and it didn't fit who I was anymore and who I wanted to be. That was really what it is. It was it's nothing wrong with them and what they did. It just didn't fit the current times and life for me as a woman in that period of time you know what I mean so I had to learn new ways to be yet to think and I think that's where a lot of it came from is that sort of opening up and realizing that I don't have wow. to have all the answers myself it's well it's very interesting because I think this is the this is the mistake that people often make is we think that we're going to do one thing and that's going to change us forever and life is going to be set after that And it's really a journey, right? So everything that you're doing is leading you to the next. So it's, it's elevating your vibration. It's elevating, it's opening your mind. It's elevating the way you think. And that leads you then to somebody else. So when they say, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, right? So my next teacher was a man who was very, uh, business- oriented, he had a strong business background, and he was very uh, methodical, strategic, all that, and I was really looking for that, because the coach I had before that, I absolutely loved her, but she was very woo-woo, and she didn't have a lot of sort of the business skills, and, and I really wanted to learn how to leverage, right, so instead of me trading time for dollars, I really wanted to learn how to leverage, and that business coach was my business coach, has been for three years. Uh, he's not like my business coach in a formal capacity, but he's still somebody who is a business advisor to me and somebody I trust and who's a mentor. Um, and so each of them bring different things to you and you have to, but you have to be ready, right? You can't just, he. I would not have been the ideal client for him when I first started out because he was just in a different place than I, you know, so I think it's one of those things where when we talk about right fit and making sure somebody's a right fit for you and where you are, not everybody's going to be a right fit client for me. Not everybody's going to be a right fit client for you. And that's okay. Right. But when I first started my law practice, I would take whoever came in the, through the door. Well, very quickly that doesn't work, you know, You find out, like I can't help this person or this person is like, they need a therapist, not a lawyer. Right. Or, a psychiatrist, not a lawyer, right? And, but you don't know that. And part of learning that is taking those bad clients and taking that and then you learn it. Same thing with the coaching business. When I started coaching, I helped small business owners. I, I wound up niching down to women law firm owners because that's who was hiring me the most. And so I really wanted to just speak to them. But I started out helping other professional services. businesses. So because I had a lot of experience in that. and um Those, you know, they were some of those were the right clients for me then, but they they wouldn't be the right clients for me now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And some of them weren't right right clients for me then, but I I couldn't know that unless I had the contrasting experience sure. of going through the journey with them and having to have the hard conversations and deal with people not paying or people wanting to quit or you know things. Because, you know, and so as you grow, you begin to, you know, you attract people who are more suited to where you are at that particular time. That's where I was at that time. where I am this time,
0: right? It's different, mm-hmm. right? I think we get better too at figuring out who, who we vibe with, right? And who we don't. Right. Um, right. And we were better at um, almost having like a sixth sense on that. It could be a female thing. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Right. But, you know, that's something I, I talked to other attorneys about, you know, what the best way to prevent malpractice is on the first phone call, right. Or at the door, like they used to say <laughs> on the first Zoom call, right. You should get a very good feel of that person. And like, whatever red flags you have, like keep, always keep that in mind, like always listen to your gut and don't be afraid to say no or turn away a client, p- a prospective client. Yeah. So many young lawyers are, so, they, they're like, no, I can't, I'm not in that position yet. <laughs> well, I think, but, and you know, the thing about that is when you're
1: not in that, if you're not in that position yet, that's okay. But I, because you learn something every engagement that mm-hmm. you have, mm-hmm. but I think the key is that experience allows you to learn to ask better questions.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: Right. So, because, because then something comes up and you're like, okay, next time I write a contract, I'm going to make sure that's in the contract, yeah. right? The next time I, right. And so you learn to ask better questions. You learn to ask them, you know, do you, you know, like, do you have a job? <laughs> like, are you going to pay the bill? Right? Right. You learn to ask them things that indicate, you know, whether, that, whether they're a good fit for you or not. And obviously there's a lot more to it than just the money piece there, you know, because, I've certainly had clients who, who absolutely could pay me, have paid me, and, but they, you know, if, if they're, I can't care about other people's problems more than they do. Sure. You know, and I do think that's where uh, oftentimes lawyers, we get into trouble is that people come to us with a problem and we want to go in and save the day and really help them because we know we can help them right. and use this great knowledge and but if they don't care enough to about their problem to forego something else to come up with the money to pay you to help them solve the problem, then why should you care about it more than they care about it? You know, and I think we often don't think of it that way. We just think, oh, they don't have the money. Well, you don't really know that. You, you just know that they're telling you that, right? <laughs> yeah. And and if their problem is important to them, and fortunately there are services available to people who don't who truly don't have money. But the majority of people that will knock on your door to hire you have resources, they just may not be readily available to put their hands on them, right? Mm-hmm. And so you might have to help them think through how to, how to work that out. But um I do think that, you know, those all of those experiences, we often, you know, people look at people who've been doing something for a long time, and they're successful, and they go, well, how come she's successful and I'm not? What they're not seeing is the previous two decades, three decades, decade, that somebody has had the embarrassing conversations and made the mistakes and had to go to court and say, your honor, can I speak to you? Can I approach and confess to something stupid you've done? And like, they don't, you will see that when you're out there scrolling social media, looking at somebody who's there, a boss, a boss babe in her suit looking (laughs) like she's got it all together you're not seeing that, you know, she's wearing her fuzzy slippers, and, you know, she just got a shower an hour ago, like, we don't, we don't see the behind the scenes of things like that, right, you guys see me when my hair is blown out, you know, (laughs) actually, you see me a lot of times when my hair is not blown out, but, you know, you don't see me when I wake it up in the morning, and, and I think that's, that's really what we have to keep in mind, is that, you know, comparisonitis, I think is a huge problem uh, that a lot yeah. of people have now. And so we force ourselves into situations that we don't really want to be in because we think we must be in them, we should be in them. We should because these other people are doing it and I'm a failure somehow for not doing it or being in or being that person or whatever.
0: Yeah. got to watch the old should word. When, when yeah. the should word pops up, you need to ask, where is that coming from? Says who, like, there's yeah. a lot of questions you can ask about the should word, right? I think yeah, it's
1: shitting all over yourself.
0: Are you shitting all over yourself? Exactly. <laughs> I love that. So let me ask you, um, okay, you talked about how like, you feel like you're maybe like kind of on the third or fourth phase of, of your career. So I'm so curious about like, what's next for, for you? Do we have another book coming out? Like, or do you see me like?
1: So I have two books. This one is brand new. This this book, and it's called the Wealthy Woman Lawyer's Guide to Building a Systems Driven Law Firm Business. And there's a subtitle: seven, seven Essential Systems You Need to Take Back Your Time, Avoid Burnout, and Create Lasting Wealth. I I do firmly believe that a lot of women sell themselves short when it comes to how much. They can create in the world how much money, how much prosperity, how much impact they can create in the world. They play too small and don't really um, step into their full potential. And I think a lot of times it's because they don't really realize how important it is to do that. It's important for a number of reasons. One of which is as we get older, we may not be able, the, the things that we thought we could count on to take care of us may not be there. And by that, I mean relationships, spouses, um, you know, uh, government assistance, whatever it is, right? The things that we thought may not be there. And so we need to take care of our financial business. The other thing is that you can can positively influence many, many, many more people in the world if you have the resources to do it. So the people who are most influential in our culture right now, this Elon Musk ring ring a bell, he's the most powerful communications platform in the world. Don't tell me he's not going to influence our world, right? So what can you do to, to be, have, wield more economic power? Because economic power is where you you're going to be able to bring your values and your beliefs and your thoughts into the world and really leave a legacy right so it goes beyond buying a luxury purse or you know uh, buying a bigger house or whatever even though those things are great too and guess what if you want them you should be able to have them That's right, right. And i don't think anybody <laughs> should make you feel guilty about it but there's a bigger there's a bigger picture to what you can do if you have more resources and it has always been the way throughout time that people, tribes, communities with more resources thrived, more than ones with fewer resources, right? We know this. And yet, I think women who are, women lawyers are some of the most highly educated, intelligent, and driven women out there. But if we cap ourselves at making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, five hundred thousand dollars a year, a million dollars a year, whatever it is, right? And we don't allow ourselves to reach our full potential. And by, and the way we do that is by realizing that we cannot—it cannot be by our willpower alone—that we need to start stepping into leadership roles and growing teams.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
1: to be able to get where it is that we want to go. So we are connecting with people and influencing people and getting that. And, and I think I think we, we, I see so many women, law firm owners who self-limit. Like if I just have enough for this or that, there's a lot of just enoughness.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and we get comfortable and we don't want to step out of our comfort zone because we get just enough to be comfortable. And then we go, well, I'm okay. I, I'd be, you know, I don't really need a yacht. So I just think that that I think now more than ever, we need more women who are intelligent, educated women who are stepping up as leaders, as you know, especially a more diverse population of women
0: mm-hmm.
1: stepping up as leaders in the world. And, 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 and we really are limited unless we have economic power. So that's kind of my mission. So this new book will be kind of you know, going along with that I concept.
0: I love that. And I felt, I was like, ooh, she's dropping little hints right now about what's in that book. So um, if <laughs> you want to know when this other book is coming out, you're going to need to go follow Davina. So where can people find you? Like, where's the best place?
1: So I, the best place is my website, which is a It's super easy to remember wealthy lawyer.com. Also, uh, Instagram, if you like Instagram, then you can follow me there at Wealthy Woman Lawyer. And you can be on LinkedIn. We also have a free Facebook group. way. And then, of course, always the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. If you're not listening to that, I do think you will, if you love to hear the stories of other women law firm owners and their journeys.
0: Go to Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast, download it, listen to it. Great episodes. This has been so much fun, Davina. I'm I loved um, talking with you because I got to learn a little bit more about you as an individual and sort of what's impacted your journey, which I think is really cool. Thanks, Susie, for having me here. I enjoyed it so much. This was fun. Have a great day. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today on Legally Bliss Conversations. If you love this episode and you want to hang out with other inspiring and light gold female attorneys, Be sure to join the Legally Bliss community at legallyblissed.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Susie Hickson. See you next time.